in lots of developers' offers, there are significant transmission reinforcements that developers' schemes are sitting behind. So Hinkley Connection Project's 59 kilometres. That's fairly substantial. Some of the other reinforcements are over 100, maybe 200 kilometres long and involving multiple substations. That's why developers need to just look at the Hinkley Connection project. This is what it looks like and what's the impact on my project that is sitting behind a, a similar, if not more extensive, transmission reinforcement project. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast, where Road Knight Taylor's influential team of connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections. This episode is part of Pete Aston's look at the Hinkley Connection project, for which he was responsible for the design elements in his time at WPD. The project is a new 59-kilometre transmission circuit running through Somerset, and looking at the Hinkley Connection project will help developers understand the scale of transmission reinforcement more broadly, and will give them insight into what it means for connections affected by new proposed transmission works. This episode is an introduction to Pete Aston's look at the Hinkley Connection project. I'm Hugh Taylor, and Pete, my first question for you. So we know that the project is a 59-kilometre transmission circuit. Could you just fill me in with a few more details? Yeah, thanks, Hugh. It's a like a new 400 kV circuit that's required, running from more or less the Bridgewater area all the way up to sort of Bristol Docks area. Um, so right through lots of Somerset, North Somerset, into sort of parts of West Bristol area. It's it's required, it's sort of the name gives it away, for, for the Hinkley Sea uh, new nuclear power station that's currently being built. Um, I think the actual technical requirement was more of a network stability requirement, bit of a techie thing, um, as opposed to absolute capacity on the transmission system. But network stability, you don't want a... 1.8 gigawatt uh, turbine tripping off and, and getting damaged. So, so yes, it's been put in for network stability. So uh, in, in terms of actually how it's being uh, built, it's, it's being constructed using new T-pylons, which sort of look like uh, wind turbine columns then with a T-piece on top. Um, so quite an innovative design, not, not being used anywhere else in the world. So that's quite exciting. Uh, very interesting um, seeing those pop up all over the place. In terms of some of the engineering side of things, it's predominantly used a 132kV corridor. So there's been existing 132kV lines that run from Bridgewater up to Seabank substation, as it is in uh, sort of Bristol Docks area. That 132kV line has come down in places and is it is going to come down in other places to make way for the new 400 kV circuit. It's a really substantial piece of work. Obviously, the, the local distribution network needs that 132 kV circuit. It wasn't just there doing nothing. And so because that 132 circuit's been taken down, uh, in place of it, there's a new grid supply point being built uh, that's going to be connected into the new 400 kV line, so new 400 to 132 kV transformers. Uh, and then that's going to patch into the remaining 132kV network. So that's called Sanford Substation. And then lots of work's happening up at Seabank and Bridgewater and, and at Hinkley Point itself, uh, lots of new substations and so on. So that, that's the sort of general, the general flavour of what's going on. Brilliant, thanks. And, and just your, your insight other than the fact that, that it's local to you, um, but you, could you just very briefly outline what your role was at WPD now um, and GED in the Hinkley project? Yeah, sure. So I, I joined 
WPD as was NGED now back in 2007 as a planner, network engineer. My patch happened to be the sort of North Somerset uh, patch looking at the, the 132 and 33 KV networks in that area. And it was 2008 that National Grid uh, first started talking to us as a, as a company um, and, and me uh, very heavily involved as, as the planner of that area about the, the need for a new 400 kV circuit. So my, my works were for, for many years looking at the design elements of, of this. So what happens when you remove a 132 kV circuit from the network? Actually, you know, how do you plug the gap? If you need a new grid supply point, how do you, how do you link that in? And then moving on from some of those initial design stages, um, obviously National Grid had to do a lot of optioneering about different routes. Um, that wasn't obviously my responsibility. That's what National Grid were doing. But part of that was engaging with National Grid with not just the design elements of work, but public consultation. So I went to a number of public consultation meetings and sort of drop-in sessions where the public could just walk in talk to the the national grid guys who are doing the work talk to me as the distribution representative um a whole load of things around that sort of from the design and moving into the public consultation type space um starting to talk with both national grid and, and western power delivery teams about well how, how are we actually going to implement this because it's not just like a normal reinforcement work that might happen over a couple of years this is a program of works that's happening over sort of five, six years. So you're not you're not just looking at the end stage as to say, oh, this is what it's going to look like when we finish. You've actually got to plan to keep the lights on for everyone in Somerset and North Somerset throughout the that whole process to keep the network secure and re, you know, rebuild it at the same time. So so that was really interesting to see that then move into the delivery phase. You know, it's been being constructed now as we speak. Great, thank you. And with with that in mind, the fact that this is clearly a, a, a huge project and that there are technical impacts and social impacts as well, could you just let our audience know why you thought that this case study is actually relevant and why, why are we making a podcast about it? Yeah, it, it's really relevant, for I think, for two reasons. Large-scale new transmission reinforcements do not happen that regularly. So the Hinkley Connection project is the most recent large-scale transmission reinforcement project. The one that would have happened before that was would have been many years before. So it, it's not something that happens very regularly. I think just from that point of view, it's really interesting just to look at what's going on. Not not least that the Hinkley Connection project's using innovative pylon designs. It's also got a, a significant section of underground cable in the middle of it as well. So there's some real interesting engineering challenges but I, I think the more important reason that um, developers will be interested in this is that in lots of developers offers there are significant transmission reinforcements that are now planned that developers schemes are sitting behind and some of these transmission reinforcements make the Hinkley connection project look small so Hinkley connection projects 59 kilometers that's fairly substantial some of the other reinforcements are you know over 100 maybe 200 kilometers long and involving multiple substations so some of the other reinforcements planned are even more significant than this uh, and, and therefore that's why developers need to just look at the Hinkley Connection project as sort of a case study and example to see this is what it looks like and what's the impact on my project that is sitting behind a, a similar if not more extensive transmission reinforcement project. Cool so that makes sense 
because there are so many of these really big transmission schemes and or schemes impacted by transmission reinforcement works and some of the connection timeframes I think I heard are 2037 yesterday and and actually it, that doesn't really make any any sense but this is actually now going to give us some hopefully some this series will give us some context through which developers and investors who are acquiring these projects can can a lens through which they can look at these works yeah absolutely 2037 that's only 14 years away from now and one one of the things that needs to be brought out as part of this series is timescales because time timescales is a massive thing it's taken 15 years from when i first talked to national grid in 2008 about this project to now when when the works are you know substantially complete but not yet finished uh, and no doubt national grid were thinking about it before they talked to me about it so you know from a national grid point of view this has taken even longer by the time it's finished it will have been a what, 16 17 year project and and that's amazing just to hear you say it's only 14 years you know i think uh, yeah. for for those of us within the industry our clients these connection time frames when they were coming out at 2028 there was a there was a sense that 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 was a very long way away but actually your experience of hinkley it, it isn't at all that's right and i think that there are some you know uh, factors that have delayed the hinkley connection project there's no doubt about it because it was so closely linked with the actual Hinkley C scheme itself, which which went through a number of delays, that there, there were periods where progress could have been made earlier on the actual transmission reinforcement works. That there's probably a few years delay within there, but that's not unusual. Delays happen for all sorts of reasons. So even with a, a sort of a good project program, delays are going to happen for for reasons that we just can't foresee now. So 2037 for some of these long projects doesn't seem unrealistic at all, and in fact, some might argue. Maybe I might argue it seems optimistic. Blimey, that's not what we want to hear. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. So what are some of the highlights that you hope to bring out of this series? And, and, and I know that, that one of them is the connection timescales and the long timescales associated, but what, what, what else is there? I think there's a cost in implication here, and that's not necessarily a cost implication for developers. And I think there's more of a wider sort of GB cost issue here, that, that needs thinking about by lots of lots of people, National Grid, Ofgem, government, is just that the you know these transmission reinforcements are very expensive. I think when the Hinkley project was awarded funding by Ofgem, it was awarded funding for something like six hundred and fifty million. I think National Grid had asked for over seven hundred million. I haven't seen a figure as to how much this actually cost them. Uh, projects generally don't happen for less money than they were <laughs> predicted to happen. So I'm pretty sure the costs will have gone up beyond that so you know we're talking very high costs here um uh, you know and as a country we just need to think about that and maybe step back and think are these transmission reinforcements the best way of of solving the problem of getting towards net zero and let's not forget that this is what this is all about this is trying to move the country towards net zero by installing all these 
you know, renewable technologies uh, all over the place. So there's a, a big picture question there. I, I think there's there's another one on resource available to do all this work. So it's so a national grid, you know, has got a limited resource. National grid uses contractors to do a lot of its work. They've got limited resource. So when there's hundreds of kilometres of reconducting works to do, and then hundreds of kilometres of new circuit build to do, that takes a massive burden on on resource right the way across the industry. These projects can't all happen concurrently. So so which ones get prioritised? Which developers win in terms of sitting behind projects that actually get pushed forward faster than others? Um, so I think that's a really interesting one. There are a few of the big things. And I, I know as well, because you live locally, you've been very interested and because you were involved in some of the, the kind of the local community engagement meetings, um, that the social impact is something that you're quite tuned into. And perhaps you could just explain for the audience why you chose your, your first interview of the podcast series, which we've got in the can, so that's going to be the next one, was with Dr. Liam Fox, MP. So, yeah, Dr. Liam Fox is the MP for North Somerset. So that's the the constituency where I live. And it's one of the constituencies that's most impacted by the Hinkley project. So I think there's three or four sort of MP constituency areas that are impacted by the Hinkley project, uh, the the new transmission line. Uh, And and Dr. Liam Fox, MP, was very, very heavily engaged in those initial consultation processes. He was hosting debates between National Grid and and members of the public and and so on. Uh, He was very engaged in Parliament, talking around the impacts of these things. You know, so when the public are impacted, they go and speak to their MP. And then if the MPs are being spoken to, they'll bring us up in Parliament and then, you know, laws get passed, which then affects the ability of transmission companies on the national grid to then do what they want to do so the whole thing is one big um, web of interconnection so I, I think yes politicians aren't directly in related to connections but the the laws they pass very very closely uh, affect uh, all of this transmission work so that, that's why I wanted to speak to him because um, you know he's got a lot of insight into how the how the process works in Parliament, and you know th- there are going to be lots of constituency areas, lots of MPs affected by transmission reinforcement across other parts of the country. So it was really interesting to get his insight into that side of things. Yeah, and I've listened to it um, already. It was fascinating, I thought, um, and he has an amazing voice. So yes. Everyone's got that <laughs> to listen to. It was absolutely it was it was like silk. Just to wrap up, really, because this is only meant to be a short one. Everyone's got busy lives. There, there was one more um, thing, and that is that the pressure on the network companies. And I think you did briefly mention the fact that there is a resource issue within National Grid, but actually this is this is it's going to impact all the network companies because they're all fighting over the same resource? Yeah, so I think there's a there's a resource issue. So in terms of just the contractors that are being used, there's only a few contractors that will build transmission lines. There's you know, maybe a few more contractors who build 132 kV lines, but uh, you know, it's, it's the same sort of pool of people. Um, I think the other resource thing is the, the internal resource. So the design team resource, for example. So there aren't many DNOs where there are you know groups of designers who have dealt with large-scale transmission reinforcements that end up taking down 132 kV lines and needing new GSPs you know because it doesn't happen very often the DNOs haven't got the exposure to that so they've got the people within their teams who are more than capable of doing it but they need time to grow the teams to build that experience to have 
build those relationships with National Grid. It was good fun, but it was challenging to build those relationships between uh, WPD and National Grid. You know, what, what sort of meeting schedules do you have? You know, who needs to meet? Who needs to talk together? And all that sort of stuff. And that takes a long time to actually work out just those logistics uh, let alone agreeing on design principles and so on so so that that's the sort of impact it takes a lot of people out of normal everyday life which and of course the dnos aren't yeah. just sitting there twiddling yeah yeah their thumbs i mean not nor- moment, normal they? everyday life for, for a dno at the moment for, for a system planner within a dno is is just a is a, is a complete nightmare and, and yeah. you know so just with them add this on top and, and it just becomes it becomes a situation where the dnos probably then need more engineering resource to internally to then be able to deliver this sort of thing yeah and this actually just brings us on to so we've got one of the i think it's a webinar that a podcast sorry that we're actually recording today is about third-party works which i think has been a bit of a curveball for an awful lot of people particularly who are acquiring projects and i guess would because I don't understand third-party works, but was WPD's involvement essentially third-party works around a transmission connection? It was to start with, because... um, So you've got EDF, who were building Hinkley C. Uh, They triggered the need for the new transmission circuit, which then triggered the need for WPD to take down their 132 line and do lots of amendments to their own network. So that was just one big third-party works project... It transpired that the, the Hinkley Connection project eventually got classed as some sort of strategic reinforcement project and then was, I think, somewhat disconnected from, from the Hinkley C build-out itself. So, so I think it sort of became not a third-party works thing at, at some point in the process. But I guess it, there is that, that impact of transmission connections on the distribution network, those third-party works, which we're going to co- cover in a podcast, but, you know, hopefully this in itself will just kind of raise yeah. awareness of but that, you, which is you, important you can't within get the industry. A much bigger third party works impact than the transmission company saying, I'm taking down your one through two KV line <laughs> yeah, for pretty you know, fifty kilometers. It, it it just becomes a massive, massive issue. And it just becomes a collaborative, you know, working together process. And I really enjoyed it. It was great fun. Um challenging, but who gets to work on big transmission reinforcement projects like that? Yeah, yeah in, in your career. It cool. doesn't yeah. happen very often. So, yeah, it was, it was a privilege, actually, to be involved and, and good fun as well. Excellent. And, and clearly, you're because I know when you first came to me with the idea of this podcast series, you're really looking forward to it, and, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to it too. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Road Knight Taylor connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.